there we go. Okay, good. So we we're really at like the final uh, shiur of this unit, which is a four shear unit turned out to be on the sort of framework of of uh, Eruvin, um, how they operate um, and specific challenges that modern day Eruvin face. So in the first shiur, I gave an introduction to the whole issue of Eruvin Chatzerot, how they work, what the fundamentals are. In the second two shiurim, two weeks ago and last week, we looked at the issue of Rishut Arabim because that's a critical component of Eruvin because Eruv will not work in Rishut Arabim. And we saw a huge, famous Machloket Rishonim, dispute among the Rishonim about the definition of Rishut Arabim, uh, whether or not you have to have 600,000 people living in the town, Rashi, passing there every day, the tour, some other definition, or whether the numbers are irrelevant. And we ended up spending almost the entire year last week looking at the innovative and brilliant solution of the Aruch HaShulchan, and again, his motivation to justify the, the fact that all modern cities in Europe had Eruvin, even though they had a huge population, and how that worked. And his theory about there being only one Rishut Rabim per city, by definition, based on the Machaneh, was really kind of a cool thing. Now, this, the last year of this unit, we're going to take a look at one of the other big challenges of modern-day Eruvin, and that is the presence of non-Jews within the Eruv. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to start with the basics, which is the presence of anybody in an Eruv. And again, we're going to build out, because remember, our original model is a chatzer. So picture again a courtyard with private houses in a circle around the courtyard, and the entire courtyard is fenced in. So the the chatzer is a private chatzer. It's got a fence. It's got a gate. And inside, there's a yard in the middle, and then there's houses around it. Each house has a yard behind it. And remember, midoraita, the people can carry there. It's all commonly owned or in separately owned private area with proper fencing. But midrabanan, and based on the psukim we saw in Nehemiah and in Yumiyahu, they made a prohibition until the whole uh, ownership of that area is ma'arev, which means they join together to become one partnership, right? So in the last two weeks, we talked about some of the demographic challenges, meaning numbers. Now we're going to look at the other demographic challenge, which is the presence of people. And there's going to be three different kinds of people we're going to deal with here. And that is, uh, I'm going to call them Eruvists and non-Eruvists and anti-Eruvists. Eruvists is, I would assume, everybody in this year, everybody who agrees that an Eruv is a good thing and who wants to participate. Non-Eruvists are people to whom an Eruv is irrelevant, and anti-Eruvists would be people who are actually opposed to the Eruv. Now, I don't mean opposed to the Eruv because why are you putting a fishing wire near my backyard? I mean opposed to joining together and making one reshoot. We're going to see all of that come here. Okay, now, I would have thought, starting out this whole unit, I would have thought that if Sherwin, Alan, Zev, and Avram, all my Kohanim here, um, if um, if we, if the four of you were in a chatzer, and I came to the chatzer, and you guys had a regular review you made every week, 
and I built a new house in the Chatzar, that if I said, I don't want to do with you guys, I don't like your shavet, I don't like your, your splayed fingers up in the air, I don't like the whole Spock thing, I don't want anything to do with it, and I refuse to join your Eruv, you would think that there would be one of two results. One result might be that we ignore me, and all of the common areas you can carry in, and the only thing is that maybe I can't carry in any of those areas, because I've sort of refused to be part of the Eruv. The other part might be to say that my house is not included in the Eruv, so that you also can't carry into my house. Surprise, surprise. Passage 1, the Mishnah and the Eruvin, uh, Perak Vav. We've already done this in Dafyomi. On Chatzer, so the people of Chatzer, Shishachach Echad Me'an Rab. One of them forgot to give the Eruv. Now remember, the model of the Eruv in a small Chatzer is that each person actually contributes some bread. And then somebody, one member of the of the chatzer goes around and collects bread from everybody and brings it to somebody else's house, and they make the bracha there and they make the eruv. One guy forgot. Beito asur lo vilahem. His house you may not carry into or out of, neither he nor they. So it's like we draw a circle and we, and the circle does not include his house. And that means they can also carry out in the public. So if I'm the guy who's out, my house is out for everybody. But if I go out into the chatzer and I see a, a, a plot plate uh, and, and I'm invited to your house and you give me a plate of cake and I want to eat out in the sun, I can go take it to the chatzer. So my ability to carry is not diminished from your ability to carry. But my house is off limits. V'shalahem mutarin lovalahem. And that means all of us, including me, the bad guy, can carry in your house. Not nulo rishutan. So now let's say that the Eruv group looked to the outlier and said, you know what, we're going to hand over our rishut to you. Now, they'd, be, they'd have very little reason to do that. But if they did, humutar surin. Then things switch. He now becomes permitted, meaning anywhere, and they can't. Let's say there's only two guys in the Chatzar and they don't contribute. Then their presence prohibits each other. In other words, I own a Chatzar with, um, with Bill. All right? And we don't do an Eruv together. My presence keeps him from carrying into the courtyard and vice versa. Okay, good. Now, a parallel to Sefta, just to get the picture. So if one guy forgot, he can go and say on Shabbos to somebody who did make an Eruv, I'm giving my Rishut over to you. I'm handing it over to you. And you would think it's not permitted because I'm making some sort of a transaction on Shabbat. You could do that. And even two guys who made an Eruv can hand their... Let's, let's just take this crazy example. Three guys in a chatzer. It sounds like a rabbi priest and minister, but three guys in a chatzer, and uh, two of them made an eruv and one of them didn't. And it turns out the two who made an eruv are leaving early Shabbat morning to go to the other side of town and spend Shabbat over there. And this guy's going to be staying in the in the uh, in the chatzer. So they don't need the eruv the rest of Shabbat. So they could hand their reshut over to him. They could say our reshut, our ownership over the Zanah. Do you? You're now the owner of the whole thing. We not. And therefore, they, he can carry and they can't. 
Um, and this is that's the gist of the rest of this Tosefta. All right. So now here's the problem. We have West L.A. We have Kew Gardens Hills. Alan, where does your father-in-law live? Send a chat. Let me know. Okay, because I want to include him. Okay. Um, oh, beautiful. Okay, great. Good. So, um, good. And we're going to take uh, Naftali's question in a minute also. Um, so, he's in Summerlin. All right. So, now, Summerlin's a fairly big area. I don't know if they have an Aruv yet up in Summerlin. They probably do. And so, how do you carry in Summerlin? How do you carry in West LA? How do you carry in Kew Garden Sales? After all, there are lots of people here who did not get asked about it and therefore did not participate in the Aruv. People aren't asked. Matter of fact, almost nobody's asked. People ask to contribute, but they're not asked to participate in the Aruv in a halachic sense. So, how does that work? That's part of the question. Okay. And we're going to see that there's several halachic principles at work that are going to make this happen. But they're going to take us to the cusp, but not beyond the cusp, and then we'll have to see something else. Now, uh, just to address one of the questions, um, okay, so one question we have here is, if you're a guest in someone's house for Shabbat, what gives you the right to carry in the chatzer, right? Meaning, how does a guest play out here? So the answer is very straightforward that a guest, let's ignore the Eruv thing. Let's just say that you're a guest. Uh, you come to my house and I live in uh, Desert Hot Springs. There is no Aruv in Desert Hot Springs. Alan, we didn't get to that yet, right? Alan didn't get to make that. So I live in Desert Hot Springs and you come to my house. Can you carry inside my house? Of course you can. It's a private, individually owned Rashute Achid that's got proper fencing and all that stuff. So of course you can carry. Anybody can come carry in my house. So if we've created an Aruv, we've just basically expanded that, meaning the owners are the only people who have right. Owners or renters are the only people who have a say in this. So therefore, if you're my guest and you come over, you're now part of this perfectly permissible thing. And by the way, you don't have to be my guest for Shabbat. Let's say that L.A. were bifurcated, were, 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 were sort of gerrymandered a little bit differently than the way it is, and every little neighborhood had uh, its own A-roof, all right? So let's say the other side of town had an A-roof and, and, um, and, um, and um, 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 Beverly Hills near the high school had an A-roof and Beverlywood had an A-roof and I'm in Beverlywood's A-roof and I, I participate in that and I go to visit Mark Goldenberg who lives in the Beverly Hills A-roof or Steve Rothman up in the North Beverly Hills A-roof. Well, let's say all these little compartments. I could certainly carry there. Because I'm not an owner or renter, and therefore my lack of participation doesn't make a difference. Okay, so I hope that, that clarifies. All right, so now, um, so our problem, though, is how do all the people who do own homes here in my neighborhood who didn't participate in the Aruv, how does that work? Okay, so now, uh, take a look in the Rambam, Source 3, which really just summarizes the first unit. So this is the simplest thing. All the people in a chatzer made an Eruv except for one guy, Shalori Rav Mahen, whether he intentionally didn't do it or he just forgot. He now prohibits all of them, meaning he didn't join them. His presence as an owner in the chatzer prohibits them from carrying in the chatzer. 
because the chatzer is not, not now singularly owned. It's doubly owned. It's owned by the corporation and by him. They can, of course, carry in their own homes. And they can carry in each other's homes, but they can't carry from home to home through the chatzer because the chatzer is also owned by this outsider, the forgetful guy or the intentionally mean guy. So now let's say, watch this trick, um, Shlomiel, who's the guy who forgot to make the Eruv, so until we fix it, nobody can carry in the Chatzar, because there's an owner of the Chatzar who's not part of the Eruv. Shabbos morning, they come up to him in Shul, and they start whacking him with their tzitzis and everything, and saying, what kind of idiot are you? How come you forgot? He says, okay, I'm mevatel my reshut to you. I'm mevatel my reshut of what? Of the chatzer, meaning I'm gonna give up my stake as a part owner of the chatzer to you till tonight. Right? I'm about to shoot to you. So then, they can all now carry, they can't, they can carry for their houses to the chatzer and back because the chatzer is now singularly owned. But, 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 his house is still off limits because he was not mevatel his house to the Eru. All right, so now watch. If he's mevatel, and this is unlike the Mishnah that we saw, but this is now the final halacha, if he's mevatel his reshut to them and says, I'm giving up my claim on part of the chatzer and my house, I am now relinquishing my, the ownership of my house to the corporation for Shabbat, then Everybody can carry everywhere now. I don't want to mean that like the Daily Show. What I mean is everybody can carry everywhere in this chatzer. They can all carry because they made an Eruv. And after all, he's not a stick in the mud anymore because he gave up his claim. Why is he allowed to? This is what I was asking about, answering about the guest. He's not an owner anymore. Right? It's going to, again, like you have somebody come and visit you. Rabbi Naftali, you come from Kew Gardens Hills, you come to L.A., you come and stay in our house for Shabbos. After all, this mess is over. You can carry because you're not an owner whose presence in Beverlywood makes a difference. Right? And I can carry because I'm part of the Eru. Right? So this guy who gave up his reshut is like a guest now. He's a, He's not an owner. All right now, he's like a guest, and a guest doesn't create a problem. Okay, so that's step one. So principle number one is that everybody who has an ownership, whether it is as an absolute owner or they have responsibility as a renter, um, their presence is needed. Should we say their ownership is a fly in the ointment of an Eruv until they join the Eruv. If they don't join the Eruv for whatever reason, then the Eruv doesn't work. And therefore, if one person, and you can only do it with one person, if one person is mevatel his reshut to the group in the chatzer, the chatzer is now mutar, but his house is still off limits. If he's mevatel everything to the group, right, you understand what I mean by mevatel? says, I'm giving up my ownership here to the group for Shabbat. And nobody's going to make a claim. No one's going to try to take his house away or, or you know, or steal anything from him. It's, it's a legal fiction, but it's still a legal fiction. It's not an illegal fiction. 
and um, and he is he negates his ownership in the uh, um, in the in the reshoot, then um, then everything becomes mutar, and he's like a guest. Okay, good. Now let's go to the bigger bigger scene. A chaser, by definition, is neighborly. Everybody knows everybody else, and there's a small group of people there, three houses, four houses, five houses, maximum 12 houses, right? What happens when you're talking about a mavui? Now, remember, a mavui is the street, and in their sense, it was a cul-de-sac, where on each side of the street, there were entrances into multiple chatserot. So I'm going to right now make up a number. I'm going to say there are 10 chatserot in this mavui, four on each side and two in the cul-de-sac, and each chatser has 10 houses. So now, right now, each chatser making its own eruv, that's 10 guys, they have to, 10 owners they have to participate, guys, girls, whoever, they have to participate. However, the mavui now has 100 people in it. So when you pass, surpass the number 18, and why that is has to do with shiurim of food, not anything else, and not gematrias. When you surpass the number of 18 people, then they're just a standard size Eruv that you collect, and you don't have to collect that from everybody. How does that work? Now, by the way, we're now still talking about Eruvists, meaning my, the group that I want to have in the Eruv are all people who approve of the Eruv and want to be part of the Eruv, but there's just too many of them to go around and collect stuff from. Okay? So now, we have to start with a halachic principle that first shows up in the Mishnah in it's in a few places, but its most prominent place is the Mishnah at the end of the first parak of Gitin. So we're going to study this. It is off topic, but it's a Gomorrah here. So off topic is on topic. And the principle here is a principle that is a Shas principle. It's a principle that courses through halacha. Right? The Mishnah says the following. The 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 a good part of the first parak of Gitin operates on a parallel track of two documents. One of them is a get, and one of them is a shtar shichur, a writ of emancipation to an Evid Kanani. And the, the uh, Mishnah identifies ways in which these documents are similar and ways in which they are dif- different. So now at the, at the end, Haomer, the second to last Mishnah, all right, a guy is, let's just say a guy is on his deathbed or something, and he says, give this get to my wife. He says to people around him, give this get to my wife, or give this star shikra to my evid. And then he gets better. Or he just, he wasn't on his deathbed, he changes his mind. They took it, but they didn't yet give it to the intended recipient. And he changes his mind. Mayor says he can take either one back. Why is that? Because the woman is not divorced until she gets the get, and the Evid is not free until he gets the start. And since at this point it was in the hands of a middleman who didn't yet give it to them, who, by the way, was not appointed by them to receive it, they had no idea this was coming, Therefore, the husband can call him back because it didn't happen yet. That's Rameir. 
Chachamim say, disagreeing with her mayor, that if the husband said, give this get to my wife, and then before they took off to find her, he said, no, no, bring it back, he can do that. But not with Ashtar Shechur. Why? That's the principle. That's why I highlighted it. You can benefit somebody literally away from his presence. What it means is you can act on behalf of someone's benefit without his stating he wants you to do it. You can sort of become a self-appointed shaliach to pick something up. So if I have... um, um, you have a, uh, a paid vacation to go to Vale this winter. God willing, everything will be open. You have a paid vacation to go to Vale this winter. I don't go to Vale. I stay in Mammoth. But you go to Vale. And I have two passes for the whole winter, and this is like a dream, to, to, uh, to the ski lift in Vale. And I give them to Bill. And I say, Bill, I want you to give this to Alan who's got a place in Vail, going to Vail. The minute Bill picks it up, it's Alan's. Why? Because Bill was what, the way we would say it in yeshivas, it was Zochet for Alan, but that's bad. He he was able to act on Alan's behalf and pick it up as Alan's agent and make a transaction to make it Alan's without Alan knowing about it. Why? Because it's something that is clearly for Alan's benefit. Alan loves to go skiing. He's going to Vail anyways. The biggest expense there is going to be the ski, the lift tickets, and suddenly, boom, free lift tickets. It's amazing, right? So zachin ladam shlobefanav, and so and here and they continue. You cannot act to somebody's detriment without his telling you. I want you to do it, which makes sense to us. And now she and then they explain. Think about this. A guy, if he wants to, can make his slave work, keep the wages, and not feed the slave, which means the slave has no benefit staying a slave. And therefore, if I give a star to somebody and say, go take this and free my slave, the slave already owns the star because it's all benefit. But you don't have a right to do that with your wife. And therefore, it's, it is not totally her benefit to be divorced. And therefore, the middleman didn't act on her behalf. Now, that's the principle, okay? Now, let's see how that applies in a Mishnah, in a Ruvin that we saw recently. A guy can give money to a storekeeper or to a baker in order to have a, a part, portion in the Eruv, according to Rabbi The money doesn't help. You have to give food. If you give it to somebody else, like I, like the guy collecting the Eruv, I can give him money for it, and he'll buy bread with it. But not a professional. This is the kicker. You cannot set up an Eruv for somebody without his explicit agreement, which is our problem. How did we get the tens of thousands of Jews who live in this area to all agree to an Eruv? This is the kicker. He says, when does this apply? When do we need your Da'at? When it's an Eruv Tchumin. And he's following his teacher's approach, Rabbi Kiva, if you remember from a few weeks ago, the Tchumin are Da'oraita. 
and therefore the need to set up an Erev Tchumen is a need to Oraita to sort of reestablish your home, this fake home in the middle of nowhere, so you have the 2,000 Amot radius. Which we all agree is the Rabbanan. You can set up an Eruv with the person's explicit agreement or without it. Why? An Eruv is all benefit. Anybody who gets included in an Eruv, especially if you didn't have to give food in, because after 18 people, you don't have to give more food in. You got the minimum shear of of uh, of harvas um, the minimum thing. I lose nothing by being part of the eruv. Nobody can come to me and say I'm taking my house back. It's my house. Nobody can come to me and say get out of my chair. It's my house, my chair, my my my. my. And nobody can suddenly start redividing the chaser. I have all benefit and no loss in an eruv, and therefore if somebody else arranges an error on my behalf, that works. Okay? So that solves problem one. Because we've got in West LA, in Summerlin, in Kew Gardens Hills, we've got huge populations way beyond the 18. And so therefore, we're no longer talking about everybody having to pitch in personally. Okay. Now, let's see how this plays out. There's a really, really cool Yerushalmi here. And just whenever we find a cool Yerushalmi, we gotta see. That's the Mishnah that we saw. Matnita de Reb Meir. Now, remember Reb Meir? Reb Meir was the one who said that if a guy gives a star or a get and changes his mind, he can take them both back. Chum said he can't take the the, the star shikru back. Here's a claim that our Mishnah about the Eruv is authored by Reb Meir. You can do this with Eruv Chatserot and you can do it with Shituf Mevuot. That's the larger Eruv for the street or for a neighborhood. This is like just, just for a taste of the Yerushalmi. Rabbi Yochanan said when it comes to Eruvin and when it comes to the rule of Ta'anit Sibur, we all follow Rabbi Meir's opinion. We have to see what that is. He said, we also follow Meir when it comes to Megillat Esther. Now, what do we have in front of us? We have what we might call a kovetz, meaning that Meir's opinion came up here as a lone voice in the area of Eruv, where he was more lenient. And, um, and we hear the Rabbi Yochanan reporting, we actually follow that leniency. And then somebody pipes in and says, by the way, we follow that leniency. Rabbi Yochan says he has a particular position when it comes to Tanit Sibor. And somebody else pipes in and says, we, by the way, we, he has a particular position about Megillat Esther. What's his position about Megillat Esther? If you remember from the Mishnah Megillah, he's the one who says you have to read the whole Megillah. By the way, that's what we do. There's four different opinions. He has the biggest one, the largest, and that's what we follow. Okay. Yitzchak ben Hakula b'shem, uh, ben Hakula b'shem Rabbi Yudan, now here's we get to remember the anti-Eruvists? You can make somebody part of an Eruv against his will. This is the new level. Now, this cuts to a whole different area of halacha in Baba Batra, which is Hilchot Shchenim. 
let's say that you live in a gated community. I mean, this happens to a lot of us in different ways. It happens in, in my apartment in Israel. Alan, I'm sure it happens in your apartment in Israel. Is there's a vod by it, and the vod by it, the the uh, co-op committee, votes to um, you know to uh, spend uh, ten thousand shekel to improve the front of the house. You have to chip in. You don't have a choice. That is grounded in halacha. And a sugya in the first parak of Babbatra talks about what all the members of a town have to do and all the members of a chatzar have to do, etc., as their civic responsibility. And one of the things you hear here here is, let's say you got 10 people in the chatzar, and the people agree, we're going to put up a, a, um, a, an eruv. And to put up an eruv, we have to have not only the food, but we have to have a lechen korah, the symbolic fence. And that's going to cost us $20. Each person chip in too. One guy says, I'm not giving money for that. They can force him. They can force him to chip in towards it. So we have a bright that says, if a guy says, join us in the Eruv, and he doesn't protest, then he's in. But if he does protest, we actually force him in. This is the very end of the Yerushalmi period. But there could be call. Said, no, 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 no. Our Mishnah is not Rabbi, it's everybody. Shayat's Duki, Duki, the guy who was referring to refusing to give an Eruv was at Stuki. Now the word Stuki is a tricky word. Because there are no more Sadducees in the time of the Gomorrah. So whenever you see that, it's usually a um a uh, somewhat censored word. And what it actually is referring to is a Jewish apostate. But it means somebody who refuses to participate in the Eruv. Somebody who perhaps says, I don't think, I don't believe Eruvin work. I don't believe in Chachamim's system of Eruvin. It's called Eno Modeb Eruv. Rameir himself said, if somebody forgot to make an Eruv, his, pres- his, his lack of being an Eruv mess- messes it up for everybody. So he said, you know what they do? They actually make an Eruv on his behalf. They take some bread and add it in on his behalf. And they fine him. That's a fine for not participating. See what happens? We've got a good Eruv. And nobody, but he can't use it. That's the fine against him. So well, I don't understand. Why would Remeyer say that we that we uh, can't do it on his behalf anyways? Doesn't he hold that principle of Zachim Adam Shlob Fanav? So Remeyer late Hada Zuchu. Now this is an interesting thing. He says it's not all schut. Remember I said me being part of an Eruv is all benefit for me. So you could do it on my behalf. You don't have to ask me because it's all good. Remeyer says it's not all good. Why? I don't want somebody walking into my house without permission. In other words, the notion is that if I've become part of an Eruv, it's all now joint property. And we can sort of imagine somebody just walking into my house. That's not going to happen. Rabbi Ba, that's Abba, braid Rabbi Papa, B'Shem Rabbi Cham, Rachanina, Maseh B'Shachat She'erva L'Chamuta, a woman made an Eruv on behalf of her mother-in-law, below Da'ata, she didn't know about it. V'yata U'lekumay Rabbi Shmuel B'Kesh L'Asor. Rabbi Shmuel said, you know what, I think your Eruv is no good. You can't act on behalf of somebody else. Remember this line. Wherever you can be lenient in Erevin, be lenient. 
And by the way, that is one of the two areas of halacha, famously, that whatever the most lenient opinion is, we take. Kol amekel be'eruv halacha kamoto, and kol amekel be'evel halacha kamoto. Same thing about avelut. Okay? But now let's see this in the um, in the Rambam and the Torah, and then we're going to get to the stickiest issue. Okay? But now, here, here we're talking about benefiting on behalf of everybody else, so that I can act on behalf of everybody else without asking them. This is in the Rambam. I'm one of the part of the Chatzar. I take one loaf of bread. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Does that sound like almost exactly what you say when you do an Erev Tavshilin? This is on behalf of everybody in the Chatzar. Either he took a full loaf or else enough food for two meals, which is the Shir. That's the shear for the mavui. I'm doing this for the whole town. And the shear is shtei sudot. Remember, that's the that's the maximum you need. You do not now have to go and collect from everybody. So right now, in our little, we'll call it just Beverlywood now. I want to make an Eruv for everybody in Beverlywood. The fence is up, but that doesn't help. I'm making an Eruv. I can put aside two meals i can give them to my wife or something else make the bracha she's zochet and we got it sitting here's an eruv and it's and i say it's for everybody in beverly wood it works whether they know about it or not that's the principle you have to use another person like we do eruv use a second person to be to make the kinyan and they make the kinyan on behalf of everybody else you could do it with your kids as long as they're over bar mitzvah. Do it with your wife. It doesn't have to be an outsider. Okay. Um, good. And now in the tour. Let's say one guy in the chatzer wants to give bread for everybody in the chatzer. That's fine. As long as he makes a transaction with somebody else on their behalf. And the Shulchan says the same thing. He's almost word for word. He points out you have to pick the, the food up a little bit off the table or whatever. Karka doesn't mean the ground or off the surface. So pick it up to make a kinyan. You can actually pick it up and say, I'm doing this on behalf of everybody who lives here, and anybody who moves in. People aren't here yet. Some people think that even if he doesn't say, anybody who comes later, the Beitin has them in mind, which means that the rule built in has anybody who comes in the future. Think about this. If we do an Eruv once a year in L.A., what happens to all the people who moved in during the year? The answer is when they make the Eruv, they explicitly say, and he's saying you don't even need to explicitly say, anybody who moves in is now included in it. That's a technical issue that doesn't bother us, which is that there's a minimal a minimal area. But now let's talk about the non-Eruvist. Now, we didn't get to the anti-Eruvist, which is actually the thorniest problem which is a Jew living in the Eruv who refuses on principle to participate in the Eruv. But that's what we had, remember, before the Dean of Kofin. You can actually force him to be part of it because there's no loss to him. And uh, it's kind of a meat at storm. He's doing it kind of out of spite. All right, so let's see. 
this last bit, and this is going to be the thorniest issue, which is what about all of the non-Jews? What about all the non-Jews? We've got lots of non-Jews living uh, in uh, in L.A. in West L.A. And how do we how do we account for that? So there's two ways a priori we could deal with this. The first way we could do it would be to say it's a problem we need to deal with, but there'd be a simpler solution, which is to say they don't count. They're not Jewish, therefore their presence doesn't count. And I would even raise the stakes and say, even people who are Jewish, who are not part of the Eruv community, might not count either. In other words, maybe the only people we need to include in the Eruv is people who agree to the system of carrying out Shabbat and the prohibition and are part of it. Here's the bad news. The Mishnah at the beginning of the sixth parak says, Hadar So you live with a non-Jew in the Chatzer. There's your anti-Eruvist. means a Jew who does not believe in the principle of Eruv. Who, by the way, according to some Rishonim, um, if somebody's Eruv, they touch wine, you can't drink the wine. A Jewish person who rejects the, the, the system of Chazal. It sounds like he's very religious, not very religious. The presence of this non-Jew in the Chatzar messes it up for you, Diver Meir. Okay, there has to be at least two, two Jews whose presence affects each other, then the non-Jew whose presence is there. Okay. Megamliel then tells a story. This really is a Stuki. Because Rabbi Gamliel is remembering his grandfather, Megamliel Zakain, who was the head of the Beit Din of the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim before the Mikdash was destroyed. And even his father, Shem Gamliel, who was the head of the Sanhedrin at the time of the destruction. So I remember there's a Tztuki who lived in Armavu in Yerushalayim. V'yamar lanu Abba. What did my father tell us on Friday? Maharu v'otziot kola kilimavui. Take all of the dishes and everything out into the Mavui. Like establish yourself there. Ad shelo yotzi Before he comes out and brings things out, and his presence will mess up the Mavui Midachatzer for you. Okay. So the presence of the non-Jew is a problem. The Rambam just says it straight up. One non-Jew living there with one Jew is not a problem. But if there's two Jews or more, there's a non-Jew there, then his presence is a problem. Now it's interesting if his presence is is in theory not a problem because it's only the presence of people who are supposed to be Shomer Shabbat, the Jewish people, makes a problem. So what's the issue? The answer, answer is that this was a gzerah because they didn't want to have a small Jewish community that had a goy living with them. But again, this doesn't speak to our problem. So we're going to move ahead to the tour. Now the tour lives in Spain lives in Toledo, 13th century into the 14th century. As the tour is actually dealing with this problem in a pragmatic way, um, because the the uh, the Jews lived in in often in times in parts of Spain in and this is uh, and this is Christian Spain in a um, in mixed communities, right? Uh, all the rules of bitul of giving up your ownership 
for if somebody forgot in a chatzer, it's the same thing in a mavui. Again, what we're dealing with in LA is a mavui. It's a huge mavui, but it's a mavui. Let's say chatzer number three out of the ten forgot to join the mavui. So that chatzer is mavatel itself to the mavui, and then everybody can carry in the mavui again, just like with a chatzer. So all the chatzer relative to mavui is like one individual in a chatzer. When is this? That's when they didn't all make an Arab together. But if all the chatzerot are open to each other and they made an Arab together, because each chatzer has its own Arab and they're all open to each other. And by the way, all the rules of having a non-Jew there apply in the in the street and in the city and everything else. Obi'ir. Okay, now, now, meaning there's a few Jewish people living there. You have to rent from every non-Jewish chatzer. Do you understand the implications of this? This means going up to every non-Jewish homeowner or renter in the area of your Eruv and going up and making some rental agreement with them, you know, for the year and give me a dollar, whatever it is, and saying, okay, I'm renting your space for religious reasons for the Sabbath, right? The aim must speak. Now, here's where the solution starts glimmering. The mashi score misar ha'ir. This is the first time that this phrase shows up. It's not enough to rent from the mayor, basically. You can't rent from the mayor. It's not good enough. You've got to go rent from each one of them. And <coughs> the Shulchan Aruch quotes the same thing. We're just going to look at the end of the Shulchan Aruch, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, and what the justification of this is. And so we'll look at this bottom half. That's the Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah, and by the way, in Krakow, they have an Eruv everywhere. Maybe that's only to carry in and out of the non-Jews' property. To carry out in the street. So watch how the Ramah divides. He says, you're right, you would have to go up to every non-Jew and rent from them if you want to carry in their house, from the Chatzar into their house. But if you want to carry in the street, all you have to do is rent from the mayor. Why? Let's see. The street belongs to the king, to the prince. If he wanted to, he could get everybody out of there. He could just tell them all to leave. Right? Now, by the way, this is only true if he doesn't own. By the way, this is the feudal estates. Feudal estates is exactly what it was like. The Lord owned everything. If he owned everything, if he doesn't own everything and he doesn't have the rights to go use those houses, even a time of war, like the bivouac, but in a situation like the feudal states where anything that happens in the city only happens because the Lord allows it to happen and he has total rights, absolute eminent domain, right? Um, but or his his appointee can do it. 
Certainly renting it from the mayor or the chief police or whoever it is, is good enough. So that means that they would go up to the lord of the manor and make some rental agreement because he owns the whole city. And they'd say, we want to rent officially for, you know, $5 for the year, whatever, two ducats for the year. And that was good enough because he had rights over the whole place. If he wanted to, he could throw everybody out. He could tell them, open your doors to the soldiers. He could he could say, we're taking your house down. We're moving you. Something like that. All right. Um, all right. He says, because after all, this guy has the right to essentially bivouac. That's the issue. To, to have them settle... Um, uh, uh, have the soldiers settle or to use the houses whenever he wants to. Now, what's what's kicking here? What's going on? The, the tour raises an issue which certainly since his day has been on and off a problem. If you lived in Anatevka, it wasn't a problem. Right? There were no going in Anatevka. And you had your own little area. You ever in Anatevka, didn't go any further. But if you lived in in Warsaw, you lived in Krakow, any of these towns, your Eruv was big, and it included non-Jews. How do you deal with that? So the tour's opinion was that you really had to rent from everybody, which, of course, means that your Eruv really could only be in the Jewish district. And it would have to be a concentrated Jewish district. But the Shulchan Aruch, and actually the Ramah, introduces a new idea. He says, look, sometimes the, the, the royalty of the city, the government of the city, has absolute domain and what we call eminent domain and has the rights to move people out of their homes, to send people a note saying that soldiers are coming to your house, get ready, and you, you have to house them. It says, by definition, that makes him an owner. So if you rent from him, that's fine. I'll give you an example how I use this. And then we're going to put it into, into modern metropolitan terms. I was once uh, with a group at a hotel. And uh, the truth is, when you're at a hotel, let's say for a Shabbaton uh, or a Pesach program, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, you do not have to make an Eruv for one very simple reason. You're all eating together. That's your Eruv. There's a big dining room. And even if there's one family that has their Seder in a private room, but if they join in the main dining room or they eat from the same kitchen, that's all part of one thing. But let's just say you were to have a getaway where everybody eats in their own rooms. It's a getaway, a ski getaway. And so they go and they spend Shabbos at a nice hotel and they dive in together, but they all got their own rooms and maybe they even bring their own food. How do you make an Eruv? So what I did is I, I was appointed shaliach by the group and I went up to the uh, manager of the hotel and he evidently knew about this and I rented the entire hotel space, indoor space from him for Shabbos for a dollar. We shook hands and now belonged to the group. And they could all carry because we made an Eruv and I'd rented the non-Jews ownership. Now, why could I rent it from him? Because if he wanted to, he could throw anybody out of the room at any point. If he were to be notified by the police that there were terrorists staying in room 502, he could open the door and have them thrown out. And so therefore he does that. Now, even though it might never happen, hopefully it never happened. Nonetheless, that means that he's the owner and therefore his re renting from him is going to be good enough. Now, here's the, the question, and this became is a machloket between two of the Gedolei Ador 
of the beginning of the 21st century. And Rebel Yoshi disagreed about whether or not in today's environment, the government is considered to have those kind of rights. Now, by the way, the government certainly has those kind of rights in the street. Think cones, right? Think you're driving down, I'll make it contemporary, you're driving down Wilshire, and then suddenly there's a detour. Why is there a detour? Because they're digging, uh, uh, you know, the next extension of the subway. Mapitom, you're in my way. doesn't matter. The government gets to do that. And so the government's ownership over the streets means that when you rent from, which is what we do in all the cities, we rent from the city, means that we've rented from the one authority who has protection over all of that. The question is whether that's good enough. And the question is when that, and that we take, we who rely on an area, we take the lenient opinion. The other interesting issue is, yes, but can I go, if my non-Jewish neighbor asked me to come into their house, I have non-Jewish neighbors who come into my house on Shabbos from time to time when something went off by accident. Uh, but can you imagine if they were asked me to come into the house and uh, see their new granddaughter and suddenly the granddaughter starts crying and they want me to pick up the granddaughter and, and, and hold it, can I do it? It's an interesting question. Can I carry inside their house? Right? It's an interesting question. We're going to leave that as a question. And uh, I'm going to actually to put this off of... Uh, Mute now. Just